0: For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, and she ate it. Bummer. And here we are. <laughs> uh, we're introduced to the serpent here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And he is none other than Satan. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 and, chapter, and Revelation 20 verse 2 identifies Satan as the ancient serpent who leads the world astray. The very f- first thing we notice about the description of this serpent is he's crafty, little weasel. Crafty, more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had created. Craftiness implies deceit here. In John eight forty four, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, um, and he, he speaks to them. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Satan is a murderer, Satan is a liar, and he is the father of all deceit. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter warns the church. He says, but be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It is in his fallen nature, his wicked fallen nature to seek and to devour mankind. And he does this through deception, through deceit. And the second thing we notice here in the very beginning is that he was created. Before he fell from heaven, he was a mighty angel named Lucifer until sin was found in him, and he's cast down to the earth with a third of the angels. So Satan is not God's equal. He's a created being. Satan is not eternal, but was a created angel who desired to be equal with the Lord. He says five I wills there in, I believe, Isaiah. And it was because of his beauty. And his wisdom that he became conceited and, sinf- and sinful, and re- he rebelled from God. He was cast down to the earth. Read Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 for more information on that. But so Satan, taking the form of the serpent, he speaks to the woman in the garden. And Jesus said in Luke uh, six forty-five, a basic com- concept which I think is important to note when we look at Satan speaking, or anyone speaking for the matter of that. Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus repeated that several times throughout the gospel. What's in someone's heart comes out their mouth. It's a revealing. It's like a window to the soul. And so pay attention when God speaks. What happens? What comes out of his mouth? Pay attention to when. Satan speaks what happens, what comes out of his mouth, for it reveals the heart. And he said to the woman, this is what Satan said, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The very first thing that Satan wants to do is he wants to draw Eve away from her relationship with the Lord God. That is his desire for every one of us on earth, is to draw us away from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is what he desires. That is, his, that is his purpose. And Satan has tactics for doing this. He has tactics. And they're laid out here in chapter two, uh, uh, chapter 3, verses two through, uh, 1 through 5. And the first thing that Satan does to begin to deceive Eve and to draw her away from the Lord is he attacks God's word. This is the number one tactic that the enemy uses right away. He attacks God's word. He says in verse 1, he says to the woman, did God really say? From the beginning, Satan has tried to undermine God's people by undermining God's word. He can undermine us just as effectively by getting us to neglect God's word and to doubt it. He can attack it. He can do all these things. But think about the different tactics he has. He wants us to get us away from what God says it. In what God says, there is life. It points to Jesus Christ. He is life. And if the enemy can get us to neglect what God says, or to minimize it, or to uh, whatever it is, (laughs) make it not as important as it should be, he succeeded in our lives to get us to doubt it. And so he says, did God really say? He questions God's word. Secondly, Satan, he took positive command from Genesis, in two, uh, which God said in 2.16. It says, hey, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, right? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. That is what God said. And then Satan changed it to a negative. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God say they couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? No, he said, you can eat from every tree in the garden. There's just one, and I don't want you to eat it because if you eat it, you're going to die. Pretty good reason. Wouldn't you say? So he changes Satan's tactic as he questions. He also changes what God said and lies about it to have Eve reflect and see differently upon God. God went from being a benevolent, God and, and looking out for Eve's best and protecting her to keeping something good from Eve. And notice how he does that by twisting what God says. That was a lie. And Eve responds. And she says, we may eat of the free, uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but verse 3, but, did God, but God did say, You must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. That was mostly accurate. Kind of got the heart of it, but she kind of added, and don't touch it. That might have been Adam saying, hey, just don't even touch it. I don't know the situation there. But it reveals that she doesn't know exactly what God said. She She gets the gist of it. Why didn't she know exactly what God said? Why didn't she repeat exactly what God said? Perhaps this is why Satan chose her instead of Adam. Perhaps this is why Satan chooses me. Anyone? Do we ever run into the same problems? But Satan responds with his third tactic here. He directly challenges the Word of God. So he questions, he changes, and he challenges the Word of God in verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Satan effectively laid the groundwork. He drew Eve into a discussion with him, and he planted the seed of doubt about God's word. And then he exposed Eve's incomplete understanding of God's word, and now he moves in for the kill with an outright contradiction of what God says. And this statement is packed with implications, but I think um, this is kind of the gist of it. Eve, you can't trust God. God has lied to you. God is withholding good from you. There's there's no danger of going against what God says. Come on, Eve, use your senses to figure this one out. God is keeping you from the tree because you will be like him. The enemy has a way of taking evil and making it good and appear profitable to us and appeal to us, to our senses. This is, you know, I think the basis of all advertising, appealing to something we need, right? Some of those things can be good, but you find out that, wow, I really didn't need that. Why did I get that? I didn't, you know, you, you'll find yourself in places you shouldn't have been. Being pulled by your desires to buy a new car that you did not, could not afford or nor should you, should you have, right? Wow, if I could only look like that person. But God is keeping you from something good. He is not good. He's a liar, is what Satan is saying. He's lying to you. And this is how Satan works in our lives. He gets us to doubt what God clearly says. He gets us to believe that God is withholding something good from us. He's getting us to doubt God's good intentions. And Satan will then contradict directly what God says. No, it's not so. It's actually like this. There are no consequences for sin. There's no consequences for going with what God said. It's going to be great. Actually, if you go against what God says, then it's going to turn out better for you. If you just go with your heart and shack up with that person who you have immense feelings for and have a relationship outside of marriage, it's going to be great. The whole world is doing it. you cheat on your taxes, no one knows, it's going to be fine. God's just trying to tie you down. He's trying to keep you for something good. Verse 5, For God knows, this is Satan speaking, for when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is the fourth tactic here of, of Satan's deception. Here's the kicker. Satan knows that a little truth mixed in with lies, makes it so much more appealing. They would have their eyes open knowing good and evil. That is true. But they would not be like God or equal to God, which was Satan's downfall. So instead of holding to what God said and trusting God's goodness, what happens? Eve was deceived, and she ended up deciding for herself instead of sticking to what God said. In verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, it, good for food, it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable to, for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes from the father, uh, comes not from the father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God, what God says, lives forever. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and Satan lays it right out here for her. Satan used those three things to deceive Eve, and he uses those three things on us, day after day might look a little different, but the tactics never change. They're the same. The lust of the flesh, dealing with our carnal desires, our, our desires. And by the way, God gave us some of these desires, amen? Hey, it's great to eat, like it. You know, other desires God's given us that are natural. The lust of the flesh. When the woman saw that the fruit was, that the tree was good for food, she saw it was good for food, it was going to meet that desire. The lust of the eyes, and it's pleasing to the eyes. And the pride of life, also desirable for gaining wisdom. He uses the appetites, you know, the desire for the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the shiny, the flashy, the pretty things, and the pride of life, the desire for wisdom and knowledge. You know, getting ahead of God. Did God create these things in us? Yes. Where are they to be met? Through the I am. We go to Him, and He provides all these things for us. Supernaturally, naturally, yes, but they aren't idols in our lives. We're not to be ruled by the flesh, but to be ruled by the Spirit, by His Spirit. Satan will use these areas to draw us away from God instead of us going to God, to have these desires met in Him. And when we go into temptation, it then quickly becomes sin, and sin leads to death. And that's the deceitfulness about sin, is that it's fun. Anyone? You know, we, we kind of we joke about, you know, drinking, drunk, getting drunk and all that stuff. But it's not so funny when your liver gives out. It's not so funny when you're out of control and, it, and you lose your job and it consumes your life. When it consumes you, the desires of the flesh. Amen? We've all been affected by something like that. And obviously it takes on different shades different people. But James said in chapter 1 of James, verse 13 through 18, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Verse 15, And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. God wants to give good things. All the good things, they come from God. Don't be deceived. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits, fruits that he all, that he, uh, of all he created. And we'll talk about that at a different time. But it is not sin to be tempted. But become familiar with your evil desires and your weaknesses. Each of us have those. Amen? And realize Satan's desire to entice you away from God with him. And realize that if you're going against what God has clearly said, you are saying in your heart, hey, there are no consequences. Look out, you're deceived. And that's the deceitfulness of sin is that you can be in sin so long that your heart is hardened and you no longer have that consciousness and you are, your, your mind is seared. You can give into it for so long that you no longer care anymore what God says. That is a scary place to be. We see that with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, God spoke to Pharaoh in Egypt. Let my people go. And he said that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God spoke to him and said, Again, say, hey, let my people go. And then Pharaoh hardened his heart. And that's the repetition. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He kept doing that. And then what happened? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. When God hardens the heart, it's over. Be sensitive to the wiles of devil. Be, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart regarding sin and the tactics of the enemy. Don't let him have a foothold in your life. Realize this morning that the da- this dangerous and deceitful thing about sin is that we think that it will always just affect ourselves. It never affects just you. It always brings others along. Always. Verse 6, And so she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Galatians 5, 7-10 says, You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view, that no one is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay that penalty. I'm sorry, that the one who is throwing you will pay that penalty. Yeast is a a type for sin. It's a picture of sin. In the scripture. As you know, yeast is added to dough to make it rise. Without yeast it does not rise. Well, they have starter dough. They take a little, uh, little dough from the, the last one, the last batch they made, and they keep it over and they put it in the next batch, and then they keep doing that. A little yeast goes a long way. It is contagious. It rises, it gets into everything. It's putrid, it's a putrefier. And it that's what's happening. So a little sin in our lives, we think, okay, got it controlled, it's compartmentalized. No, it spreads. In the church, a little sin ruins the whole lump. And while we don't want to sit there and we want to use the the measure that we would have used against us, but the measure that we're to use is right here, without partiality. Jesus came not to condemn, but to save those which were lost. Amen? He came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. We like the grace part. I like the grace part. Amen? And Lord, thank you for your grace. And it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. But I tell you what, we need some serious truth to permeate our hearts. That word of God, when Jesus spoke, he was like a sword. And it cut right down to the bone and the marrow. And it divided the intents and the thoughts and the motives. That's what the Word of God does. It corrects, rebukes, exhorts, encourages. It needs to be central in our lives. Let it do its work, cutting out that yeast. And that is done through the work of the Holy Spirit. As we focus on Jesus, boy, sin. Kind of, it's the anti-yeast, amen. It just goes away. He is he is it. Can't, you know, train my body enough to do all these things. You focus on Christ, you live after him, and sin begins to dissipate. Amen. But the sad thing is that Eve was deceived. And the New Testament teaches that Adam was not. He willfully ate in defiance of God's command. Verse 7, And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. At the end of chapter 2, it says that man and woman were both naked and they were unashamed. Now in verse 7 of chapter 3, they're experiencing shame. Sin has consequences and it has symptoms. One of them is shame. And shame comes from our conscience and should tell us something is wrong. Now, we are broken people, and even that can be messed up, right? There's false shame and all this type of stuff. We get pretty messed up. But there's a general sense of when we do something wrong, we know it. Adam and Eve were deceived that the best way to deal with their shame was to cover it by their own means. With fig leaves. Anyone else tried to do that? Cover your shame by your own means. This is what we call religion. In the negative sense. When man attempts to meet his sinfulness with his own needs and not with God's. If I try to do all these things, then eventually at the end of my life, God will be pleased with me and the good things will outweigh the bad. That is a false gospel. One sin ruins the whole thing. And one drop of blood of Jesus Christ takes it all away. That's, those, are the, that's, those are the scales we broken one law we're guilty of them all ah oh, but jesus came down shed his blood and cleansed us from all of our sin it's new life we have but the consequence trying to cover up our own sin by our own means will never work and then verse 8 The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Another consequence and symptom of sin is that it separates us from God. Hiding. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God among the trees. When we are in sin, we hide. I know that when I am not in a right relationship with someone, They're avoiding me, or I am avoiding them. Anyone? How many of you enjoy that tactic personally? Escape, don't want to deal with things head-on, don't want to confess, just got to go. Boy, I'm going to avoid them for the rest of my life. I won't talk about me. (laughs) They hid from God. Among the garden. And notice who has come to see who. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? God does not hide from us, He seeks out sinful man. He seeks us out. And God asks Adam and Eve questions Where are you? And we know that when God asks questions, He isn't lacking knowledge or information. It's not for His benefit. It was for Adam and Eve's benefit. It's for our benefit. Why? Parents, you know. Where are you? Where have you been? We know where you've been. I'm trying to get you to come clean and be honest and to reveal what's in your heart so relationship can be restored. Restored. In verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Sin causes fear fear of being exposed for who we really are and for what we have done. A lot of fearful people in this world, fearful of God. In verse 11, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God is giving Adam a chance here to confess his fault and to come clean. And notice what Adam's response is. The man said, verse 12, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's the woman's fault. Here we have the beginnings of men blaming their wives for what their problems. The book of beginnings. It's her fault. And by the way, you gave her to me. How about that one? When we have sinned, we'll often blame others instead of taking responsibility for our own actions. Now, was, was there truth in what Adam said? yet was it entirely taking ownership of what it what it was who does that sound like who is he reflecting what about eve verse 13 then the lord god said to the woman what is this you have done and the woman said the serpent deceived me and i ate passing the buck again a little truth mixed with passing the buck, and so now God, he doesn't even bother asking the serpent. He already knows him. He's not trying to get him to repent. It's a scary thing when God stops asking where you are, what you've been doing. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals' You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And so God begins to judge here. To the serpent, he went from the most cunning to the most cursed, from walking to slithering. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, verse 15, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From a literal reading, man and snakes are not going to get along. However, I definitely see A hint at the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And you will strike his heel. He will go on the cross, but he will crush your head. Love that. It's developed later in Isaiah and other things like that. But verse 16, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Satan painted sin as fun, color, and he, and he colors sin as painless. There are no consequences. That's how he does it. God paints it in its true colors, full of pain and heartache, leading to death. And notice the very role that only Eve could fulfill became burdened and cursed. Childbearing. The, the pain, the very thing she has the ability to do to give you know to, to bring a child into the world that should have been a joyful experience but now is increasingly painful. She was also created to be a helpmeet, to be a partner to Adam, and to compliment him. and now what happens with that relationship? she came out of his side, but now she is at his foot. Your desire will be for him, but now he will rule over you. relationships became very very difficult and to adam verse 17 he said because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which is, which i commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life verse 18 it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat plants uh, eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust to dust you will return. So Adam was, was punished, he was reprimanded, for not listening to God. He would now be toiling instead of tending. Instead of life, he would now experience death. And the very thing that Adam um, was designed to do, to work from the ground, and to have a relationship with God, and to have a relationship with his wife, would now become extremely difficult. The thing he came out of was cursed. The thing Eve came out of was cursed, so to speak. What God says happens. They ate from it, and they died that day. Death is not just your heart stopping stopping beating. That's a symptom of what happens with death. Death is a spiritual separation from God. And we live our lives apart from God, and when our bodies kick off, we will continue being separated from God in a place that we don't want to be. God does not want that for us. That is not what He wants. The the burden, the curse of sin and death upon mankind. Verse 20, And Adam named his wife Eve, Eve because she would become the mother of all living things, of all the living. And the Lord God verse 21 made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, "The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever." And so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work for the to work the ground from which he had been taken. Verse 24. And after he drove the man out, he placed a he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Brothers and sisters, Adam chose willfully to go against God's word and eat from the, tree, uh, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam willfully ate that fruit, death entered Adam. Adam had sinned. And sin, it produced shame and fear. And he tried to cover his own sin and hide from God. Because he was fearful and shameful, and all these things, God. But God sought out Adam. God seeks out sinners, and gave him opportunity to confess and restore that relationship. Adam chose to blame others and tell the half truths, so God allowed consequences into Adam's life. Work became difficult. Relationships with wife became extremely strained. Pain entered Eve's, Eve's life. Childbearing became difficult. They were driven from the goodness of the garden to the wilderness. They were kicked out of their home. Adam and Eve would die. Does any of this sound like it happens around us? Work difficult, relationships stink. Difficult with kids. Kicked out of your home. Job's hard. Why would God do those things? Why do we discipline our children? He doesn't want us to have any joy in going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for solutions. He wants us to go to Him for life. So if you are having difficulties today living on this earth, not to say that being in living on this earth you won't have difficulties, we live on a simple planet. Difficulties in your relationships, difficulties with your kids, difficulties in finances, all these other things work. Might I suggest, might I encourage you to go to God? Seek Him out first. And let him provide for you. Let him take care of you. In closing, Life was made difficult for Adam and Eve so that they would re-engage God, I believe. They chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. For them, there was no way back. God would not let them live in that eternal state of sinfulness. No flesh shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. God will not let sin enter his kingdom. No way, it has to die. They could not cover their own sin with fig leaves. No, God is the only one who can deal with our sin. The Lord God made garments of skin and covered them. God alone can cover our sin. And for Adam and Eve to be covered, something had to die. Something had to die. Without the shedding of blood, the scriptures say, there is no taking away of our sins. And this must have been an eye-opener for them. This is obviously a foreshadow of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Brothers and sisters, mankind still has a choice between two trees, It was by the tree that man lost his fellowship with God. It was his free choice, his free will to do so. We, by default, follow in Adam's footsteps, who chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By default, in our DNA, we are by nature children of wrath, separated from God, walking in the flesh, being ruled by our desires and not the Spirit. Yes, we can blame Adam for our our genes, but what about the decisions we make? that we have chosen to go apart from God. The Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone astray. We've all eaten from that tree. This is where the world stands. It's been given a choice between our default and another tree. God has provided another tree. A tree where... That which was lost by Adam's sin can be regained by faith in the promise of God of eternal life. The cross of Jesus Christ, the tree in which he was crucified, is the door that can lead man back to God. But you must choose. We must choose. God does not force us. Just as Adam chose to eat of the fruit That separated him from God. God desires that we, that you, choose to eat of the tree of life through Jesus Christ, coming back into fellowship with him. This is the gospel. It's your choice. But the provision has been made through that second tree, the cross. God's Son's blood was shed. And the penalty for sin was paid that all who believe upon Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. That is the good news. We can get back in. Jesus paid it all. Made the way. Restored fellowship with God. He is our hope. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son who hung on that tree and sin. Was put upon him. And the penalty, your wrath, was poured upon him. And anyone who believes that Jesus took the shame and the pain for us. And that they also that we also believe that He not only died, but He rose again on the third day, that we like Him will also rise again. You said that they have eternal life. If we believe, put our faith, trust, follow, we have eternal life. And I pray for those in this morning who have never received Jesus, who have never said, God, I'm separated from you by my sin. Jesus made the way. I accept it. Save me. I pray for them, Lord, that they would pray to you, and that truth would be made clear to them in their hearts, and you would Come in and cleanse them from all their sin, Father. and Give them new life by your Spirit, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I pray for those of us who have forgotten and are trying to carry the burden of trying to cover our own sin that we don't have to, that Jesus paid it all. And to give you those burdens once again and just come clean and confess, Lord, this is where I am, I fall short, take over again. And Lord, may your peace flood our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand. Romans 5. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I know it's late. You guys got to go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, person uh, though, uh, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we often stop there. But this is the verse I want you to grab onto. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You were worried God loved you and you were far off and he saw you sin and he bought you. How much more now that you are his? Will you be saved through his life? That's grace. Not only this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You've been reconciled. It's been paid for. Accounts are cleared. Go enjoy it. (laughs) Go enjoy it and share the good news. Amen? God bless you. Have a great week.